Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for caring for us for caring for us more than anyone else. Thank you for being the friend that sticks closer than a brother in Jesus' name. Amen. If you turn, please, in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 28. Exodus chapter 28. It's going to be our, our section this morning, Exodus 28. And starting at verse 9, Exodus 28, 9. And thou shalt take... Two onyx stones, engrave on them the names of the children of Israel. Six of their names on the one stone, and the other six names on the rest of the other stone, according to their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, shalt thou engrave the two stones. With the names of the children of Israel, thou shalt make them to be set in ouches of gold. And thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial, Unto the children of Israel, and Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for memorial. Now, if you jump down to verse 21. Verse 21. And the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel, twelve, according to their names, like the engraves of signet, every one with his name shall they be, according to the twelve tribes. Now, verse 29. Verse 29. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goeth into the holy place for memorial before the Lord continually. And now jump down to verse 36. Verse 36. And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold and grave upon it like the engravings of a signet. Holiness to the Lord. And thou shalt put it on a blue lace that it may be upon the mitre, upon the forefront of the mitre it shall be. I've just read the passages here that describe the pieces that the high priest wore that had writing on them. There were three of them. There was the miter, the shoulder piece, and the breastplate. And these are the three pieces. We're just going to center, I'm going to talk a little bit about the miter a little bit, and, uh, but we're really going to center on the, the, uh, the shoulder piece. I'm so glad that we have in the th- as the third section of the Creation Earth History Museum this life-size model of the tabernacle. If you haven't, let me encourage you to visit that. Because from that life-size model, there's just an extraordinary opportunity to see what God so carefully told Moses to build. I, I still remember how, in, in, how the team in Tecati built the, the tabernacle. It was a, it was a team of four. There was a carpenter named Abel. He built this pulpit also. There was a metal worker. There was an expert in sculpturing and a seamstress. 
And those four made the tabernacle, both the tabernacle in Santee and the identical one at Takati. It took them nine months, nine months. And I remember how they would get together and they would plan. And then, and I remember seeing they would argue, no, it says this in Exodus. We should make it this way. <laughs> and it was such a joy to see that. I, I, I called them the Bethlehem team. And I thought how Moses would approve. But, but it's very interesting, the details about the tabernacle, which are listed here and in Numbers. And because what's so interesting about it was that Moses got all this information on Mount Sinai when God showed him the tabernacle to make sure that it was built just exactly the way God wanted it. In fact, we kind of wonder, what did Moses see on Mount Sinai that served him to know all the details for the building of the tabernacle? I mean, after all, this tabernacle was in service for over 500 years Eventually, it was replaced by the temple, but the temple was patterned after the tabernacle. So what did Moses see on Mount Sinai for such an important thing as the tabernacle, eventually the temple? Well, we're not exactly sure. They're not exactly sure. There are three references in the Bible to what Moses saw on Mount Sinai that served him for the building of the tabernacle. The first one is in Exodus 25.9. Exodus 25.9 it speaks about, God said, I want you to build a tabernacle according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments, even so shall you make it. Another reference is in Exodus twenty-five, forty. Exodus 25, 40. And look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. And the last one is in Numbers 8, 4. Numbers 8, 4 says... And this work of the candlestick, speaking about candlestick, this work of the candlestick was a beaten gold unto the shaft thereof, unto the flowers thereof was beaten gold, according unto the pattern which the Lord had showed Moses as he, so he made the, the candlestick. So here we have three references, and each one of these times, the English word pattern is used to describe what Moses saw in Mount Sinai. But it's not the same Hebrew word. It's not the same Hebrew word. Actually, two times... There's the Hebrew word tabneth, which means, like, it means a model. It means like a building, like a model. So maybe, maybe Moses saw a model of the tabernacle. But the one verse uses another Hebrew word, mare. And mare means an appearance or a vision. So maybe he saw a vision of the tabernacle. We just don't know. It's not clear. But whatever he did see, it's clear that God prescribed to Moses every detail of the tabernacle, and those details included the priest's clothing, high priest's clothing, that had the writing on them, what he wore. So the first one was this thin plate of gold that went over his forehead, the mitre, and on it was written the words, holiness to the Lord. That's verse 36 and 37, we read that. Holiness to the Lord. Now, we gotta remember that the high priest here, he represented Israel to God. Once a year, he went into the most inner chamber of the tabernacle called the Holy of Holies to represent Israel to God. Israel needed representation. They were sinful. It says in Isaiah 1.4, Isaiah 1.4, God speaking of Israel said, ah, sinful nation, a people laden, burdened down, 
laden with iniquities, a seed of evildoers, not just evildoers, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backwards. Apart from that, they were very righteous. Now, Israel, in that description, was just like all of us, dirty, rotten sinners. I mean, I spent six hours with a friend of mine who's an Orthodox rabbi. And during those six hours, he decided to tell me everything that was wrong with me, what my problem was. So I started listening, and then I thought, felt like defending. And then I thought, oh, no. I said, have you got a pen? You're saying so much, i got to take notes. Now, he told me that I was a Jew who didn't know who I was. And then he told me I was a Jew that had no point of reference. And after he got finished with all of them, I finally said, are you finished yet? No, more. And sometimes, you know, he would say something and I would make a face. He goes, you have the right to to, to remain silent. You do not have the right to make a face. But (laughs) so I finally was finished. And, And I told him, you know, I told him that you said I didn't know who I was. You said I didn't have a point of reference. I do. I do know who I am, and I do have a point of reference. And that is, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner that was saved from a sin by the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Israel and us, we're all dirty, rotten sinners. It says in Psalm 53, 1, there is none that doeth good. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. King Solomon said at the dedication of the temple in 2 Chronicles 6.36, there's no man which sinneth not. 2 Chronicles 6.36. And the most common deception is that a person can somehow, somehow gain access to God by what he does that's good. And so it's very important that the representative not attempt to gain access to God by any good works or by representing Israel as doing good works. And to make this absolutely crystal clear, he was branded on his miter with these words, holiness to the priest, no. Holiness to Israel, no. Holiness to the Lord. What would it be like if you had a sign across your forehead that read, holiness to the Lord? And every time you turn to anyone, the first thing they would see on you was holiness to the Lord. Be like a a denouncement of any personal good works that you could use to earn your way to heaven. That was really an important point for the high priest to establish when he entered into God's presence, there's going to be no talking about good things. Lord, have we not done this and that and the other? None of that. No no talking about the good things he did as a person. This was Aaron who went in there. You know, Aaron that made the golden calf, that Aaron. Or or what Israel as a nation had done. This was Israel as a nation that was the sinful nation, people laden with iniquity and so forth. That was, if a person comes to God in that way, that's a ticket to be cast into hell. Because he said that. In Matthew 7, 21. Matthew 7, 21, he said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, 
I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That's why the message over the priest's head was so vital. Holiness to the Lord. The same thing. So he could establish this fact of Titus 3.5. Titus 3.5 is a fact. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Holiness to the Lord. That's the message. Holiness to the Lord. Ephesians 2.8 is a message. Ephesians 2.8 is a message of holiness to the Lord. For by grace are you saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. That's holiness to the Lord. The hardest thing for a person to say is that I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Yet God yearns for people to say that so he can save them. Because without that, God can't help them. There's no beginning there. Because it's a person starts there to come to Jesus' blood of mercy. I mean, when you see in the Bible, God pleading with Israel to don't say you're innocent. He says in Jeremiah 2.35, Jeremiah 2.35, Yet thou sayest, because I am innocent, surely his anger will turn from me. Behold, I will plead with thee, because thou sayest, I have not sinned. That's the worst thing that a person can say. I'm innocent. I have not sinned. So we see God pleading in that Jeremiah 2.35 verse, pleading with them. Don't say that. Don't say you're innocent. Don't say you have not sinned. Because if a person says he's innocent, God can't help him, and there's no mercy. It says in Proverbs 28, 13, Proverbs 28, 13, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Even for believers, it's hard for believers to say, I've sinned. But there's no start for the believer who refuses to say that, who refuses to say, I've sinned. Because only then will he have the benefit of 1 John 1, 7. 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. What does that mean? What does that mean when it says, if we, say, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, his word is not in us? Because his word says that we've all sinned. So when we say we haven't sinned, someone is lying. So the high priest did not stand apart from Israel. He was the embodiment of Israel, and all Israel was to focus on the holiness of the Lord. As a matter of fact, there's coming a day, there's coming a day in the future when horses will be again in Jerusalem. I don't know if I'm looking forward to that or not. There's enough traffic problems now, but they're going to have horses. And they're going to have bells around their necks. And all of those bells are going to have engraved on it holiness to the Lord as a reminder to the people. Well, it's gonna, it says this, Zechariah 14.20, Zechariah 14.20. At that day there shall be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. So when the high priest wears this sign, holiness unto the Lord, the high priest is really saying, don't look at me, look at the Lord. The high priest Aaron is especially saying, I have no holiness, but God is holy. Just like the Lord Jesus responded to that man who called Jesus good, 
and had to, and, and 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 he said, "Behold, one came to him, said unto him, Good master, this is Matthew nineteen sixteen, Matthew nineteen sixteen. What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life?" He said unto him, "Why callest thou me good? There's none good but God." With that response, the Lord Jesus was leading the man to see Jesus is God. Jesus is good. Jesus is God because only God is good. So when the high priest wore this sign on his forehead that said, Holiness to the Lord, the high priest was saying, With the righteous blood covering my sins, the Lord is my holiness. The Lord is my holiness. Now that's going to be what it's going to be like in the future when, when all the Jewish people are going to believe into the Lord Jesus Christ. Can't wait for that day. After they've gone through the greatest sadness and mourning Israel has ever, no, ever known. Not looking forward to that day. After they realize their fathers, in essence, pierced the Lord, and 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 they they turn him they turned him over to the Romans, and then it says in Zechariah twelve ten Zechariah twelve ten I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is bitterness for his firstborn. And then they all been cleansed in this wonderful fountain of Zechariah 13.1, Zechariah 13.1. And that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And the world's going to make a big deal over the Jewish people. As it says in Zechariah 8.23, Zechariah 8.23. 23. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. At that time, there can be a lot of praise that's heaped on the Jewish people as the ones that God is with. It'll be very tempting for the Jewish people to accept that praise, but they're going to resist that praise because it says in Jeremiah 23, 6, Jeremiah 23, 6, in his days Judah shall be saved, Israel shall dwell safely, and this is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. See, the way that they're going to resist becoming proud as the people that, that that's with, the God, with God is a new identity. And their new identity is, is not going to be, yeah, we're the Jewish people, we're really something. No, their new identity is going to be the Lord our righteousness. A Jew will then know himself and have as a point of reference that he is a saved, dirty, rotten sinner and his only righteousness is from the Lord. And this is the name whereby he shall be called. Jeremiah 23, 6. The Lord, our righteousness. So it's when the Jewish people see themselves as saved, dirty, rotten sinners and take on the identity of the Lord, our righteousness, then they'll be just like the high priest wearing that mitre that says holiness to the Lord with a statement, don't look at me, look at the Lord. Now, and by the way, if there were those who made a big deal over the priest, oh, Aaron, 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 then, or like people today make a big deal over a particular pastor, oh, pastor, pastor. When the high priest wore that sign, holiness to the Lord, the high priest was in essence saying, Psalm 115.1, Psalm 115.1, not unto us, oh Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. So the high priest wears this sign 
on his forehead, holding us to the Lord. It was the same as saying, as him saying, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of this world, they'll grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So that was the first writing on the piece, the mitre. The second, which we're going to focus on now, is with the high priest war. Was the writing was these these two onyx stones, you know, onyx stones. How many of you have ever seen onyx? Okay, you know the most beautiful onyx I think comes from Mexico. They got it's it's beautiful down there. This onyx stone is, you know, you can almost see the layers. If you get the kind of like the clear onyx, see the layers. It's there. So it says in the in in verse nine that they were to take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the children of Israel. Two precious stones. Two precious onyx stones. One for six names, six tribes. The other for six names, the other six tribes. And they were engraved, beautiful stones. And, and the Lord shows that, the stones. He sees, he sees precious things. The Lord sees precious things. It says that in Job 28.10. Job 28.10. It says, his eye seeth every precious thing. And onyx is described... In Job twenty-eight sixteen, Job twenty-eight sixteen, the precious onyx, precious—that's what it's called, precious—and that's the word that God used to describe men in Lamentations four two. Lamentations four two, He says, "The precious sons of Zion, comparable to fine gold." He says in Isaiah thirteen twelve, Isaiah thirteen twelve, "I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man." than the golden wedge of Ophir. As a matter of fact, when, when the Lord sees an, an immoral woman, an adulteress, trying to hunt down a man through moral defilement, what does God see? He sees a woman who is Proverbs 6.26. Proverbs 6.26. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Precious life. The adulteress will hunt for the... He sees a woman hunting for the precious life. We all know, as we just heard, John 3.16. Thank you, David. Thank you, Sam, for calling on David. Thank you, David, for volunteering. And so, John 3.16, as David quoted that to us, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes into him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, in the first part of that verse, it says, for God so loved the world... How did God love the world that rebelled against him, that chose to offend him, that chose to sin against him after God did so much for man? God so loved the world because in spite of all that, God saw man as precious. Psalm 72, 14. Psalm 72, 14. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence and precious shall their blood be in his sight. Psalm 116, 15. 116, 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So God sees man as precious. He alone atones. He makes this decision to atone for his sin. And he says, I've loved you. I've loved you. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. 
You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. The Creation and Earth History Museum is excited to present our Israel Live summer trips in June, July, and August. Experience a trip to the Holy Land where you'll walk in the footsteps of Jesus and His Apostles, visit some of the most important sites to human history, and seek to make friendships with Jewish people that'll last a lifetime and into eternity. We hope you'll join us in reaching the nation of Israel, one friendship at a time. For more info, visit us at israelalive.org. That's israelalive.org.